0: Alright, welcome back everybody. Find your places and uh, before we get into the message this morning, I just wanted to cover a couple of things real quick with you. Um, First off, if you were here last week, you're aware that I've been kind of sick. A lot of people have been praying for me. I got some cards and really nice words from a lot of you. Thank you. I mean that. I mean there's nothing like the body of Christ and knowing people care about you and pray for you. It's really important one of the things about the connection card, put prayer requests. We pray for you, man. It's, it's, really, it's really an important thing. I really appreciate everybody's prayed for me. Um, I'm a solid 90%, which means that throughout this message, there's only one thing that's absolutely guaranteed, and that's at some point in this message, I'm going to start coughing. So bear with me just a little bit, and people who are going to listen online to this message later, that's going to be bad. So, um, yeah. So, so I'm much better, though. Thank you for all of that. If you didn't know, uh, most people know. For two weeks, I was on a mission trip. I was in the country of Albania. I was in the country of Turkey. And uh, just a very, very brief update. Um, I preached a missions conference there in Albania, and that went great. The, the church in Albania, for a handful of you that have been there, um, it seats a couple of hundred people. That's all the room will hold. Um, they own 220 chairs. All the chairs were set up, and there was probably 30 or 40 people standing in the back of the auditorium. Um, That is a conference where there's some more people that come, but typically on a Sunday they're still maxed out in capacity, um, which means that God is doing some great things, and there's a lot of the believers that have been around a long time that have grown in their faith who, because of the theme of the conference is missions and reaching out and starting new things, we emphasize the you know, the, the the command given to us to not just make disciples, but to start churches. And so there are a lot of the young couples that want to be a part of starting new churches in new places, whether that's across town or in other cities of Albania, or even in sending out international missionaries. And we were able to ordain officially a young man named Ariol, who was here with us in our missions conference this last year, if you were here. Um, and he will be landing in the country of Turkey very soon. We then took a trip with him and with the leaders of the Albania church to Turkey to kind of meet a lot of the existing workers on the ground there and get some strategy laid out. And uh, boy, I'm going to tell you, you'll, you'll hear more about this in the future because um, as difficult of a location as it seems Turkey would be with um, their religious bias and things like that and, and the challenges of persecution that loom, um, it's not nearly as difficult as you might think. And really, the doors are very open for somebody to be able to go in there, and and for an Albanian especially. So it's a very, very exciting time. There's some wonderful, wonderful things that we saw happen, and so a lot of you prayed for us as we were on that trip as well, and and I really appreciate that. I'll I'll probably share a little bit more next week as well, and leading up to that. Okay, so I've been out of here for three Sundays. And, as always, very thankful for the staff that that fills in for me. Very thankful for Rich and Ryan. They faithfully step up and teach you the Word of God faithfully. You don't miss a beat. And that's an exciting time. Last week, Kale was up again, and that was cool. Um, I I wanted to be here with you. The intention was that I wasn't going to preach anyway, just being tired from the trip. I was too ill to even be here. Uh, Kale filled in. I listened to it. Good job, dude. And... I want to, oh sure, give a hand, why not? (laughs) Don't let it go to your head. Okay, but I did want to announce to all of you, I know that the people involved in these ministries already know this, and so some of you know this already, but some of you may not, that as of this summer, we're gonna continue to make some staffing changes, and Kale and Brooke Horvath are gonna take the leadership of the 180 Youth Ministry, officially, and so that's really exciting as he continues to grow and God continues to use him in that way. And so then that leaves Trent and Courtney Lewis to take over the extreme middle school group. And so that's an exciting opportunity for them as well. And there's always opportunities for service and, and for um, growth and development and leadership if you just remain faithful to the Lord. And so we're very, very thankful for, for these guys and for all the things that they're doing. I'm gonna get this one good cough out and then we're gonna start. You ready? Don't, don't start the recording yet. <coughs> all right, I feel better. All right, if, if you started the recording, we're going to back that off there. Okay, thank you, and we'll, we'll start it from here. Okay, so let me get a little run and start into Romans. I've been out for a while, and we're in Romans chapter 15, by the way, so if you have your Bibles, you want to get ready there, in Romans chapter 15, and uh, if you've been with us at all, uh, you'll remember that the first 11 chapters of Romans is all Doctrine. And the primary teaching is different aspects of the doctrine of salvation. And when you get to chapter 12, it turns a corner. And it becomes all very practical. And so the time we've spent in Romans from 12, 13, 14, and now into 15, it's really been very encouraging for many, many of us. I've had many comments how they've really enjoyed these chapters because they're so very practical. And that's what we see from Romans 12 moving forward. Now, when we were in Romans 14, we saw... The emphasis on Christian liberty and legalism and the balance that we need to have in that world. And last week, Cale reminded us how the, the theme of chapter 14 rolls into chapter 15 because it has the word then. So you have the connector from Romans 15 back to the study of Romans chapter 14. And so the first seven verses that we saw in Romans 15 kind of continues this thought, not only of liberty and legalism, but also the idea of strong and weak believers. And how the strong have a certain responsibility and how the weak have to be careful of the things that confront them as well. And the real idea that we saw in the seven verses at the beginning of Romans 15 is the idea that God emphasizes Christian unity. And how we all need to love one another more than we love our liberty, more than we love ourselves, more than we love our rights or whatever the case might be. And so it's all about Christian unity and how we need to take care of the unity of the body in fact the last couple of verses six and seven that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify god even the father of our lord jesus christ wherefore receive ye one another as christ also received us to the glory of god receive one another love one another live with one another have christian unity care for one another in this way that's a really important thing but with this thought going forward you need to understand that all of this points to something, which is the theme for today's message in verses 8 to 16, and I'm titling it this, find a purpose bigger than yourself. Find a purpose bigger than yourself. We are meant for something greater than just enjoying Christian fellowship among the family of God. That is a wonderful thing. And if we forsake the Christian unity and fellowship that is given to us, then we're, we're missing it. But even if you enjoy good, solid Christian unity, you're still missing it if you don't understand the bigger picture, if you don't understand the purpose that God intended for your life, which encompasses the unity of the body, but it's much greater than that. And that's really what we're gonna see starting in verse number eight. This week and next week specifically are gonna focus on the mission and purpose that God has for our lives. And my prayer for all of us is that each and every one of us here would find that in their own heart of hearts, in your own personal conviction that you would actually and truly, not just say it, not just give lip service and not just agree intellectually, but truly in your heart understand that there is a reason that I am breathing free air. There is a reason I am on this planet and the reason why I am here is to accomplish a purpose that is so much beyond just my personal joy and comfort. It is something that is eternally Significant, and when that grips your heart, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same, and you'll never be able to settle for the things that the people of this world settle for. You'll never be bothered by why you don't necessarily have or enjoy the things that are the pursuits of the rest of the world because you have found your purpose, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. In order to be able to find that purpose, though, you need to understand again, keeping with the theme it requires some sacrifice, right? I mean, Romans 1 says, we then that are strong ought to bear bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So if we're ultimately going to realize this purpose in our lives, there's going to be some self-denial. We are not necessarily out just to please ourselves. That is not the barometer of a successful Christian life. And so it makes sense though, doesn't it? I mean, any worthwhile activity, requires some sacrifice, doesn't it? And so if we didn't have to sacrifice a little, we would probably say, well, it didn't cost me much. It's not worth that much. Well, this is of ultimate significance. And so with that in mind, (coughs) excuse me, we're gonna start in verse number eight. We're gonna read to verse 16. Now I say, so this is gonna continue on that same thought. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy "'As it is written, for this cause "'I will confess to thee among the Gentiles "'and sing unto thy name. "'And again he saith, "'Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. "'And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, "'and laud him, all ye people. "'And again, Isaiah saith, "'There shall be a root of Jesse, "'and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, "'in him shall the Gentiles trust. "'Now the God of hope fill you with all joy "'and peace in believing, "'that ye may abound in hope "'through the power of the Holy Ghost.' And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So let's pray. And then we'll break it down. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thankful, as always, for your spirit that dwells in us, for your word that is our lamp, our guide. And we thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus who made it all possible. We pray that as we look into your word, that you would cause the words of your book to jump off the page and into our hearts. I pray that we would be honest enough To consider ourselves in the mirror of your word. That we would consider our current lives, our current practices, our current drives and and motivations. And that we would compare them with the things that you you propose to us, that you lay out before us, that you give us the opportunity to participate in. You're so good. You're such a good God. There's so many ways that you could have fulfilled your mission, but you give us a part. You want us to participate in it, and it's for our good. And so my prayer is that each and every one of us, by the time we're done today, will be able to personally embrace their mission, your mission for them, their purpose in life, as you, the great creator, the designer of human life, has made it to be. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, the first point we're going to look at, Number one, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. The earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And this is the first several verses. As I said, it starts off with this this little phrase, now I say. So he's going to continue to illustrate the ideas of verses one to seven. This whole idea is that the example of Jesus Christ's earthly life and ministry will ultimately teach us this lesson of receiving others that are different from ourselves, like we read in verse number seven. And the way that we're going to learn to better be able to have this unity and better to be able to receive one another within the body is by being continually focused on reaching others that are without the body. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, whenever I have found myself in the midst of a group of Christians who are divided among themselves... What I always try and talk about is ministry and outreach. Because if we will concern ourselves with the needs of people that are not yet saved, first off, we kind of worry less about our specific needs that we think are not being fulfilled. Because the infighting of the body comes as a result of Christian people just behaving carnally, behaving selfishly. Always saying, well, he didn't treat me right. I didn't get what I deserve. I don't think they did that for me the way I think I deserve to be treated. I don't think that you should have... And we're very inwardly focused, which is not the focus that Christ had. It's not the example that is set for us. As we look out to the world and we literally and honestly invite all the peoples of this world accept the Lord Jesus Christ and become a part of his eternal family forever, we are basically inviting them to a family united. And as we focus on the world that needs the Lord Jesus Christ, then... It reinforces the fact that we who have already come to that light, we who have already made that decision are going to say, oh yeah, wait a minute. We're all in this together, aren't we? So we have differences, but it's okay. I love you. It's okay. And that's really what the the, the emphasis is as we begin to then transition the theme into the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're emphasizing because when Jesus Christ was on earth, although he is eternal God, he was on earth 100% man. Man who was 100% surrendered to the will of God for his life without any error. And that is God's goal for us, is it not? That we as human beings, redeemed by the blood of Christ, would be 100% surrendered to God's will and obviously Jesus is the ultimate example. So first and foremost, this earthly ministry of Jesus is to the Jews. Certainly, he began his earthly ministry to the Jews, right? And in verse number eight, it says that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. He was a minister of the circumcision. He was, when he was on earth, a minister of the circumcision. This is his earthly ministry. Certainly and clearly focused first, not exclusively, but first, on the Jews, as we'll see. (coughs) Excuse me. Galatians chapter 4. By the way, that doesn't hurt me. It just is irritating. Sorry. (laughs) Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, notice the next phrase, made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law, the Jews, first. And... Also, by the way, that we all might receive the adoption of sons. So do you see that when Jesus Christ came into the earth on purpose, he came as a Jew and began his earthly ministry to the Jews. That's how he started. That's how it came, that's how it came about. He's a minister of the circumcision. Why? To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. That's what it says in verse number 8. In other words... There were this set of promises, prophecies from the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ came to fulfill all these prophecies. Now, they are hundreds in length, but let me just say this. Primarily, the emphasis would be on the coming of the Jewish Messiah, who would then set up this earthly kingdom. And that is the primary purpose of his earthly ministry. And so among the various prophecies that we would find in the Old Testament, I just pulled out some of the most popular ones that you should be familiar with. First off, in Micah chapter 5, where it prophesies that the Messiah would come, and when he would be born physically, he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 is the prophecy that we're familiar of that talks about how Jesus will be born of a virgin, a miraculous birth. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it talks about when this son that is given, this child that is born, will come, he will establish an everlasting kingdom. That the the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will absolutely be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so these are the prophecies about this Messiah that is to come. And when he establishes this earthly kingdom, according to Deuteronomy 28, And verse number 13, it is very clear that the nation of Israel, it says, will be the head of all nations and not the tail. Uh, They're treated like the tail now, are they not? But God promises that when he returns and sets up his kingdom, that Israel is going to be the head over all of the other nations on the planet. And these are among the prophecies. These are among the promises. These are among the things with a literal land grant in Palestine and with all of the things for the 12 tribes and all of the ways that they were to fulfill this, Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. So that's how he begins his earthly ministry. And if you go back into the Gospels and you go back into Matthew chapter 4, where eventually you have the story of Jesus Christ and his baptism at age 30. Immediately after the baptism, he's driven out into the wilderness of the Spirit. He's, he fasts for 40 days. He's tempted of the devil. And at the end of the temptation, after the baptism, after the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus begins for the very first time his public ministry on planet Earth. And as he begins his public ministry on planet Earth. What do we see immediately happening? Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that literally is his fulfillment. That is what he's doing. He's showing up on the scene, he is it bodily embodying all of these prophecies and who he is and how he got here. He's fulfilling every step of the way. And when he gets to the point where all of the prerequisites are done and he's about to speak and proclaim, the first message he puts out there is, repent for the kingdom of heaven, a literal, physical, earthly kingdom that will put Israel on the top. It's at hand. It's right here. And it's ready for you. Now, it required their response, and we'll see that as we go through. You kind of know the story. But again, just a, just a cursory review of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ shows, for example, that all of his earthly travels, right, he basically walked around everywhere he went. It was centered around Israel. I mean, he really didn't get out of Israel. We know he traveled through Samaria, but I mean, he was right there in that area. He didn't travel very far. He chose 12 disciples that become 12 apostles, and these 12 apostles carried about, um, carried on Jewish-centered ministries as well, The Bible makes that very clear in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles. How about that? Don't do that. And into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, just like I have been doing with you. And so he sends them out, these Jewish apostles, his his followers, his most immediate group. He takes these men and he sends them out. Literally, the first time they're called apostles is right here. Why? Because this is when they are sent. The word apostle literally means one who is sent. They previously were called disciples. Now they are called apostles. They are sent. And he says, don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the house of Israel. Because Jesus' earthly ministry begins... With Israel. His disciples' ministry begins with Israel. And it continues, by the way, for these 12 guys. You can get all the way into the New Testament era where Paul is writing the letter to the Galatians in chapter number 2 and verses 7 through 9. So Paul is the human author who says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starting in verse number 7, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, Paul says, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, the Aramaic name for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, Peter, James, and John, the top three, the top three of the 12, they were the the, the core group of the 12 apostles of the 12 disciples. So when Peter, James, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace that That was given unto me. They gave to me and to Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we, Barnabas and I, Paul says, should go to the heathen, the pagans, the non Jews, the Gentiles, and they, Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles, to the circumcision, to the nation of Israel. So it's very clear. It is very clear that this is how it started out. And even in Romans 15, as we're using this illustration, Paul points out that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, okay, that that's where his ministry started. So, the question then that has led to us is why were the Jews first? Why did God say that he would start with them? Well, the very simple answer is he wanted to. I know that sounds almost irritatingly simple. But the truth of the matter is, he chose them. That's the exact reason. Why did God begin with Israel? Well, because he wanted to begin with somebody, and he chose them. And he didn't choose them because they were great. He didn't choose them because they were powerful. He didn't choose them because they were gifted. He chose them because they weren't. He chose them because he could take this little group of people that were otherwise nothing and show his power through them so that God gets all the credit, right? God gets all the glory. Isaiah 45. I pulled a couple of references. There can be scores of them. Isaiah 45, verse number four. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, notice, mine elect. I have even called thee by name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. First Chronicles 16, verse 13. O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones the nation of israel as a body of people are the chosen of god why did god start with the jews why did jesus christ begin his ministry with the jews why did jesus christ first and primary apostles disciples begin their ministry with the jews because god chose them that's the only reason he chose them he chose them to be the primary first recipients of the message of his grace. It was his sovereign decision to do that. He decided that he was going to start his global ministry with one particular group of people. And you might like that idea. You may not like that idea. It kind of doesn't matter. But that is what the Bible says he did. Now, I want you to think of it this way in case you're of the mindset like, well, that sounds a little racist. I mean, he's preferring one over the other. Doesn't it seem like that? Well, just think about it this way. Let's say that somebody bought an old house and they wanted to remodel the house. And so in the course of remodeling the house, every room needed work for sure. And so in the remodel, they're going to say, look, we're just going to start with the kitchen. Let's just start with the kitchen. And so they go into the kitchen and they spend the ridiculous amounts of money it costs to remodel a kitchen and they do all the work that they need to do and they make their kitchen beautiful and now the rest of the house is still old, but the kitchen looks really nice. And once they're done with the kitchen, then they're going to move on to a bathroom or a bedroom or whatever. Okay, in that same kind of a mindset, that's all God did. His, his, his renovation project is for the whole earth. He just said, look, I'm going to start with one room. I'm going to start here. That's just what I'm going to do. It's my house. I can do what I want. And so he chose Israel. And he said, I'm going to put my focus here, and we're going to get this right. And then through them, we're going to get around to everybody else. And that's a really important thing. So the Jews were first. They were chosen. They were elected. These are buzzwords you should be aware of. When we studied Romans 9, 10, and 11, we talked about it. But notice this unlike many of the errors that are purported by people who are of this Reformed theology, Calvinistic mindset, these elect Jews were not elected to salvation. They were not also elected to the exclusion of the Gentiles because biblically, election is you are elected not to be saved, but you are elected or chosen, or might I even say predestinated, that after you choose to receive the Lord as your Savior, you are elected and chosen to carry that message as the vehicle to the rest of the world. That's what it's always meant. And that's what it meant for Israel. God is always consistent. So Jesus begins his ministry certainly with the nation of Israel. And that's what we see in verse number eight. But certainly it does not end there. It is not to the exclusion of the Gentiles because verse nine jumps right in and that is our second point, B, to the Gentiles. Verse nine, it starts, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So his ministry was to the circumcision, the nation of Israel, and to the Gentiles. And it makes it very clear, as we will see in a moment, all of those quotes that come in the subsequent verses are how throughout the Old Testament, God's intention has always been to the Gentiles as well. He's never excluded them. He just focuses on the nation of Israel. He's renovating that room first. Now, getting back to Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus' earthly ministry most certainly had evidence of him reaching out to non-Jewish audiences, right? you know John chapter 4 and the woman at the well he was in what country Samaria and Samaria is half Jew half Gentile and Jesus on purpose goes through Samaria he meets the woman at the well she believes brings the whole town out to meet him there's a great revival okay Jesus certainly is reaching out to them there's another reference we're not going to read it (coughs) for time's sake Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 through 13 we see a story about a man. He's a centurion. That means that he's a soldier. That means that he is placed over a century of men. 100 men are under his charge. And this Gentile centurion has a problem. His son is sick. In fact, he's going to die. And he goes to Jesus and he begs that Jesus would heal his son. And in this story, it's a a wonderful story. What happens is Jesus is going to go. He's like, okay, I'll go. And he says, look, you don't even have to come. In fact, if you will just speak the word, you don't, have to show, you don't have to follow me all the way to my house to heal my son. I'm a man under authority. I know that you are the ultimate authority. And if you will just speak the word, my son can be healed. And Jesus makes an example of this centurion, this Gentile centurion. And he turns to his followers and he says, this guy is an example, and here's the phrase, of great faith. I've never found so great faith in Israel, as I find in this Gentile. We have a similar story. The other reference I have for you in your notes, Matthew 15, 21 to 28. There's a woman who's a Canaanite. Now, lest you be confused about Canaan, Canaan is the promised land where the Jews ultimately settle. It's part of that land grant that was promised to Abraham that was given to them. But you've got to understand that when they came in to occupy this land, it was full of the nations of the world who were living in their land. Not a lot unlike today. And so what happens is somebody is referred to as a Canaanite person. They are not Jewish. They are from this background of people who would have been inhabiting Canaan, right, who were definitely Gentiles. And so this Canaanite woman comes to Jesus, and she has a problem, not unlike the centurion. She has a daughter, and it says that her daughter is vexed with a devil, and she's begging the Savior if he would heal her daughter. And this is the story that seems a little weird to us because Jesus is like, Look, I don't have time to mess with you. I'm here for the children of Israel. And he says, look, I I don't have time. And he he basically calls her and everybody who else is like her in the Gentile world dogs. There's no time to, to, to take care of the dogs. I gotta go to the house of Israel. And she says, yeah, Lord, but you know what? Even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus stops everything. Because this woman did what all the scribes and all the Pharisees and all the lawyers were unable to do. She took Jesus at his word and turned it around on him and said, you know what, you're right. I'm nothing but a dog. But even a dog eats the scraps from the master's table and you're the master. And he makes the same point about her that he made about the centurion. You have great faith. And her daughter was healed. You have great faith. Jesus Christ had an earthly ministry, yes, primarily focused on the Jews, but certainly not exclusively because there were times that are recorded that he's reaching out to the Gentiles. And that's a really important thing. And all of these things were done in order to fulfill the promises of God, not just the Jewish portion, but the Gentile portion as well. And now we get into Romans chapter 15, 9, 10. 11 and 12 and we have four specific quotes from the old testament so verse number nine is a quote from psalm 18 and verse 49 uh, you can write that down if you want to romans uh, fifteen ten is a quote from deuteronomy 32 and verse 43 just compare them you'll see it's a direct quote romans fifteen eleven is a direct quote from psalm 117 and verse number one And Romans 15, 12 is a direct quote as it says from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 10. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's really important because if you go back into Psalm 18, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 117 and Isaiah chapter 11 and you do the first and most important rule of Bible study and that is determine the context, you will find in each of those passages the direct context context of the teaching of all four of those references that are now put in Romans 15 are the millennial reign of Jesus Christ every time and the point is this Jesus Christ conducted his earthly ministry with a focus towards the end that by the time we get to the end all the nations all the heathen all the peoples will have representatives in the kingdom praising God together with the Jews in perfect harmony and unity. That's the context. That's what he's pointing out. So yes, he began his ministry with the Jews. He chose them, but he only chose them to be the vehicle. He chose them to get started. He always included the world. He always had the world as in his focus. So there had to be this dual nature to Jesus' earthly ministry if it was going to fulfill all the promises. I just wanted to point out to you that there's a lot more promises and and many, many more. I gave you a few more in your notes. Let's just look at a couple of them. Psalm 67. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry. All right, the first seven verses. Really, you could go through the whole thing and it is very clear that God's focus is on all of the nations. Let me just read for you verse number two. That thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health, Among all nations. God wasn't interested exclusively in Israel. Isaiah 42 and verse number 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, the Jews. He's talking to Israel. Why? For a light of the Gentiles. So he's starting with the kitchen and he's going to work his way to the whole house. They are to be the light of the Gentiles. Isaiah 60, verse number three. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. We saw a glimpse of this under the reign of Solomon in the Old Testament, but it'll be much greater, of course, under the reign of Jesus in the millennium. Malachi chapter one, verse number 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Because God's eternal purpose has always been for all the nations. He has always intended this. He has always been interested in the entire world. He is not a respecter of persons. He had a plan, and the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ made that very very clear. Now you know the story if you've been in church any length of time, you know on your next point in your notes is that Israel rejected their Messiah. They rejected their Messiah. And specifically rejected their Messiah three times. They rejected Lord Jesus Christ officially three times, and you have the references in front of you. The first time, I gave you Mark chapter 3. And this is the story where basically they are watching Jesus Christ perform All of the miracles and the signs and the healings and the casting out of devils and all of the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. And in Mark chapter 3 and verse 22, they looked at him and having viewed the, the full manifestation of God in human flesh doing supernatural things and they say, he hath Beelzebub and by the prince of the devils casteth he out the devils. And it goes on further in Mark chapter 3, down verses 28 to 30, and it basically calls this sin the unpardonable sin. Now, people get messed up in the unpardonable sin and think like that's something that you've got to worry about committing today. Let me set your mind at ease. It is impossible for you to commit any sin that cannot be forgiven, anything you do can be forgiven. Because in Mark chapter 3, it's very clear that the sin that is not pardonable is the fact that an individual had full revelation and their conclusion is 180 degrees away from it, not saying we fall down in glory to the Almighty God. They fall down and they say, you are the devil. And it's as though God says, wow, I got nothing else. I showed you all I got. And you're going to say I'm the devil? There's no hope for you. I mean, what else could I do for you? You've got it wrong. So that was, and by the way, this is also recorded in Matthew chapter 12. Interestingly, in Matthew chapter 12, immediately after this sin, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins to speak in parables for the first time. What is a parable? A parable is written so that some people on purpose won't get the truth strike one you rejected me once we're going to start to shift and make the message harder to understand strike two Matthew 27 Jesus on the cross he's beaten he's tried he's before Pilate Pilate judges him and he says look it's the great feast day you have a tradition you let me release somebody to you he had Barabbas he had Jesus and he's like certainly they'll take Jesus Barabbas is a thief. He's a committer of sedition against the government. Certainly, everybody knows he's an evil guy. Let's release Jesus and just call it a day. I beat him up for you just to make you feel good, but hey, let's release him. And the crowd, with one accord, shouts out, crucify Jesus. What do you want? Shouldn't I release to you Jesus? No. What should we do with him? Crucify him over and over again. Crucify him. Crucify him. I find no fault in this man. Crucify him. Strike two. The nation of Israel officially rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. Strike three, three strikes and you're out. Acts chapter seven, because Jesus dies on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He gives them another chance. And you go all the way into the early chapters of the book of Acts until you have the story of Stephen. And Stephen presents a running history, a brilliant running history of the nation of Israel to the scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders of that time. And by the time he gets to the end and he calls those guys stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and he says, just like your fathers, you've killed the Messiah. And they had an opportunity to repent and to change and to fall at God's feet and to just say, I receive him. Jesus Christ is standing at the right hand. He's watching. Stephen then at that point as a result, they say, no, they're mad. They gnash on him with their teeth. That can't be good. And they stone him to death. Strike three. They're out. Strike three. So Israel blows it. So what does God do? He moves forward with his ultimate plan, his ultimate purpose, only now without Israel. He does it without Israel. And this transitions into the church age. This transitions into the time in which we live. And that's your second point in your outline. The New Testament ministry of Paul. We saw the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus, and now we see the New Testament ministry of Paul, verses 13 to 16. And if you jump down to verse 16, it starts out by saying that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. So after this final rejection by the Jews of their Messiah in Acts chapter seven, God begins to move and to take the gospel directly to the Gentiles without necessarily needing the Jews to do it anymore. And so in Acts chapter 8, they're scattered out of Jerusalem because of persecution. They end up in Samaria. Samaria is half Jew, half Gentile. Great revival. People are getting saved. By the end of Acts chapter 8, you have Philip. He's kind of transported out in the desert, and he runs into a guy who's a eunuch of the country of Ethiopia who happened to be in Jerusalem for the feast. And he's traveling back and he's reading Isaiah 53 and he doesn't understand it. And ultimately he gets saved and he gets baptized. So we have this Gentile Ethiopian. Acts chapter nine, there's a man named Saul of Tarsus who gets saved. In Acts chapter nine, he is the man who is now the apostle Paul. Saul is saved and when he is saved, God immediately calls him to be the minister to the Gentiles, And in his story, in Acts chapter 9, and verse 15, it says this, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Oh, chosen? You mean like elect? Like Israel? Yes, exactly like that in the biblical context, because what does it mean to be chosen? Well, he is a chosen vessel unto me to do what? To bear my name before the Gentiles, like Israel was supposed to, and kings and the children of Israel. Paul, two other times in the book of Acts, gives his personal testimony. Once he's in Jerusalem, it's in Acts chapter 22, and in verse 21 he says, and he said unto me, Paul's telling his story, depart, God is telling me, Paul is saying, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Later on, he makes his way back to Rome, and he stands before King Agrippa, and he again is giving his testimony. Acts 26, verses 17 and 18, where he says, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, Paul. Why? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So Paul becomes Jesus Christ's official representative to reach the Gentiles. Verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So Paul continues Jesus' earthly ministry to all the nations. And he does so as a full apostle. Now, among the requirements that would be to qualify as an apostle in the Bible would be that a person would have to have seen with his eyes the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's why there are no apostles anymore. You have to have seen the risen Christ physically. Well, Paul did. Paul saw him. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 8 as Paul is recounting this story and defending the validity of the resurrection. It talks about Christ was risen and he was seen of all these people. And in verse number 8 it says, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. So Paul is a full apostle, but he is distinct and separate from the 12 who had their ministry to the circumcision and Paul carries out his ministry to the uncircumcision. What is his ministry? Well, verse 16 goes on and says, ministering the gospel of God. It's a ministry of the gospel. So Paul's New Testament ministry is marked by going to the nations and preaching the gospel and starting churches, directly fulfilling the Great Commission. That is his purpose. That is his life. So you have Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go and teach all nations. Make disciples of all the different nations and peoples of this world. You have Acts 1-8, that you start in Jerusalem and you work your way out to the uttermost parts of the world. Paul's ministry is the ministry of that first century that sets this pattern of continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Hang with me. We're getting somewhere. Verse 16, back in Romans, it says this. Ministering the gospel of God. Why? That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So the Gentiles that are saved are considered an offering before God. Well, if you've been with us through Romans, do you remember back in Romans chapter 8 and verse 36? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. Notice, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter like an offering before God a sheep to the slaughter Romans 12 verse 1 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy what? acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service so the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost that's Paul's ministry That is the New Testament ministry of the Apostle Paul after the rejection of Israel of their Messiah. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. If I do, I'll cough. Everybody take a deep breath. A lot of Bible study, you with me? Are we tracking? Got some yeses, okay. All that to say this. So what? What does that mean to me? Well, let me tell you what it means to you. What it means to you is exactly what it meant to the Romans. It's exactly what it meant to the Romans. So what you have is the pattern for New Testament Gentile Christians. The pattern for New Testament Gentile Christians. Now we'll go back and look at verses 13, 14, and 15. (coughs) Excuse me. First off, in verse number 13, let's, let's read it. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, New Testament Gentile Christians should have hope, joy, and peace in believing. Right? That's what God expects from us. We should have hope. We should have joy. We should have peace. How? By believing the gospel, by believing the Lord Jesus Christ, by believing the promises, by understanding the end game, by knowing our place in eternity. We should, of all people, have hope and joy and peace. Because of God's plan, because of God taking the gospel directly to them. And now they are all included in eternity. We should have all of those elements of the of the of the the manifested glorious prosperous life of hope and peace and joy. As much as anybody on the planet. Verse number 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are, notice, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So a New Testament Gentile Christian should qualify as a strong believer. A New Testament Gentile Christian should be able to qualify, as we've looked at the strong versus the weak, liberty versus legalism, unity in the body. We have the ability to qualify as strong believers. These Roman Christians, right, right, it says they were full of goodness. It says that they are full of knowledge. And it says that they were willing to be accountable to one another. Uh-oh. <laughs> you, you know the, 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 the chink in the armor of Christian unity these days is that last one. Listen, there's a lot of good people in churches. And there's a lot of knowledgeable people in churches. It's this whole being willing to admonish one another being willing to be accountable and to hold others accountable that makes us a little nervous. They had all that. And God expects that for us. That's the ultimate manifestation. Living as a strong believer, full of hope and joy and peace. But not just that, because verses 15 and 16 is that we should have a purpose bigger than ourselves. We really need to have a purpose bigger than ourselves. 15 and 16, nevertheless... So, 13 and 14 are all about the benefits that we enjoy in Christ. But 15, nevertheless, brethren, I've written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And Paul turns the conversation back on himself, but most certainly with the implication that it should pertain to all of us just as well as we will see in just a moment. Nevertheless, even though you enjoy spiritual maturity, even though you enjoy Christian unity, even though you abound in gifts and goodness and knowledge, Paul says, look, I need to remind you that we all have the same mission. That we are all to be ministers of Jesus Christ to all nations to assist in fulfilling God's one great big job that He has for us to do. And that job is to be a part of of helping to provide participants, representatives from every single people group on this planet before his throne in eternity. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Snapshot into that time in the future. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Listen, brethren, do that with your life. Make that the heartbeat of your life. Make that the calling and the purpose that you have for your life. I don't care what your occupation is. You don't need to be a vocational minister of the gospel. Wherever you are, whatever you do, go about your life doing what we're going to talk about again this Wednesday night, making disciples of Jesus Christ without distinction of who they are and where they come from. If God has you planted in this town for the rest of your life, make disciples of Jesus Christ of whomever God puts in front of you right here for His glory for the rest of your life. If He happens to move you geographically, make disciples of Jesus Christ wherever you are, whoever He puts in front of you, for the rest of your life. This needs to be your heartbeat. This needs to be your purpose because you have knowledge. You now know the big picture. You see how it all fits. And it is the eternal purpose of God from the beginning. It's manifest through the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, in steps. But we are at the step in history where Israel has rejected, yes, they will come back. It's none of your business. God will take care of it. Our job is to reach the nation's that's our job. Just like the Apostle Paul modeled for us. And if you don't get that, your life is small. You're not a bad guy. Your life is just small. Listen, seriously, all. Good salaries, retirement insurance, lots of toys, fun vacation good friends, are wonderful things. It's just not enough. There is something inside of you that God designed that will never be satisfied until you are plugged in to His purpose for your life that is bigger than you and that has to figure into your decision-making con- uh, tree of decisions that you make. It has to figure into how you write checks. It has to figure into everything you do or you don't get it. And just in case there's any doubt, <laughs> if my enthusiasm, God let me say that without coughing, <laughs> please understand as New Testament Christians, we are all called to follow Paul. Have you ever noticed that? We are called to follow Paul. There's probably no less than eight or nine specific places in the New Testament that tell us that. I gave you two because they are so clear. First Corinthians 4:16, "Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me." That's pretty bold. Yeah, well, it was also inspired. 1 Corinthians 11, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That's the life that you, my friends, are commanded to lead. The life of a disciple of Jesus Christ that follows the example, context, ministry. The example of the apostle Paul, not Peter, not James, not John. Because Israel's done for a while. Our example, humanly speaking, yes, it's Jesus, of course. Humanly speaking, God gave us Paul, a regular guy who got saved and made the world his mission. And if you don't get that, you're just not paying attention. Jesus Christ lived his life as a man for 33 years, and his earthly ministry for three. He lived that ministry going beyond the borders of just his group of people, the Jews around whom he was. He lived his ministry with a focus on the entire world. The Apostle Paul literally, as we will see next week, come back next week, he took the gospel from Jerusalem and went roundabout unto a little place called Illyricum, which would have been arguably the borders of what Acts one eight calls the uttermost of his day back then. That's how he conducted his life and ministry to reach the world in whatever capacity he had the, the opportunity to do that. So let me ask you a question. Where are you going? What are your plans? How you spend your money how you spend your time what drives you to do the things that you do what is the reason that you get up in the morning what are you asking god for in your life how about this what is your personal individual strategy for helping to fulfill the great commission do you have one Do you have a purpose for your life that is bigger than yourself? That's bigger than here. It's bigger than now. It's God sized. It's biblical. Because I'm going to tell you something you're never really going to enjoy life until you have that. You just never are. Rich, wealthy, privileged people all over the globe are very sad and dissatisfied. It's never enough. You have to live for something bigger than you. There's nothing wrong with those things. Make good money, work hard, raise a good family, love your kids, be around when your grandkids are around. Those are wonderful things. It cannot be the totality of your vision. Your vision has to be bigger than that. Next week, jumping in at verse 17, we will begin to break down and see exactly how Paul lays out a pattern for us. You don't want to miss next week. How we can best fulfill that purpose. Because there is a pattern. And it is clear. And y'all, seriously, Wednesday night. I don't care if it's been your habit to be a part of Wednesday night or not. We are all about giving you the tools and the training and the opportunity and ability to make effective disciples of Jesus Christ fruit that will remain in eternity and we are constantly and forever working to make those tools more effective for you and we will be laying that all out for you wednesday night please come wednesday night and make a priority in your life and schedule that making disciples for the rest of your life is important we're here to help you with those things so please don't miss out on that let's go to the lord in prayer